Amen. That's right. Uh, personal Bible study is once again the topic. Personal Bible study. And uh, how many guys would say that that's probably something good you personally should do? Yes, praise God, you're catching on after a few times. Personal Bible study, and that's just it. It is between us and God, not somebody else's Bible study. Believe it or not, you can get into the Bible, and believe it or not, you, that's right, just you, okay, you can do it too. Uh, and that's huge. Now, did you know, this is just starting to pop my brain, I even got my notes. Uh, Reformation, you guys familiar with that time period in church history, Reformation, where Martin Luther, John Calvin, Erwin Zwingli, uh, for those of you hooked on Swiss people, and, uh, and many others uh, were in there during that time. They broke away from the Catholic Church, okay, which is huge because they basically had put a clamp on all kinds of things, certainly biblical truth, and uh, to put it mildly, and they basically won for you and I the freedom to study the Bible. I mean, see, we, we, we don't know our history so that we don't realize the ramifications of what we are just doing tonight and how many men and women have been brutally murdered and were drowned and were burned to the stake and burned alive because they had the audacity to say that any person has the right to read the Bible. William Tyndale, named after the seminary I went to, Tyndale Theological Seminary, uh, was murdered because he had the audacity to translate the Bible in the English language so the common person could have the privilege of reading it for themselves. Now, you need to understand the significance of that historically because I think it was uh, 1229 A.D., for those of you hooked on exact dates, Tom, uh, 1229 A.D., uh, the Roman Catholic Church uh, made a decision to deliberately keep what copies of the Bible that were on the planet in Latin. Now, the problem was uh, the, the language had switched uh, 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 to English, but they deliberately left it in Latin so that even if you could get your hands on the copy of the Bible, hey, fat chance that you're even going to understand it because nobody reads Latin anymore unless you're of the elite. Okay, and that was to couch it away, unfortunately, uh, from you and I. And then, then you think, and that's even if you could find a copy. You need to understand, hey, man, that was, that was a, literally a treasure I mean, very well-to-do merchants, landowners, uh, the royalty might have a copy of the Bible, okay? And again, if you, if you had it, most likely it was stuck in Latin on purpose, okay? So you couldn't even read it. But, but this was pre-Gutenberg uh, Press. You guys remember with that? And that's where basically you started doing mass printing for the first time, okay? And so this is way before that. So even if you could, oftentimes a little interesting... Uh, uh, tradition that used to be done is they literally would, if they had a copy of the Bible on some sort of pedestal, whatever, typically, okay, it was literally chained there because it was that valuable. I mean, you didn't have like what we have today. How many do you want? Which kind do you want? What size do you want? What flavor? Did, did you get the 60 minute one yet, Ruth? Yeah. Okay. I mean, they're all over the place. Okay. But not back then. But here it is. So these guys, and that's what they were murdered for because they had the audacity to win the freedom for you and I that we can have personal Bible study. Not only did they leave it in the Latin language on purpose, so even if we could get a copy of it, we can't even read it. Okay. Uh, the second thing that they taught and they still teach today is only the, uh, the clergy. Uh, can interpret it for you. You, and that's why if you know anything about Catholic backgrounds, and uh, I had a guy I worked with for many years, it was the same thing. One of the things that's really not promoted in Catholicism is study of the Bible. Okay, because it's spoon-fed to you. Jehovah's Witnesses do the same thing, uh, even though they have a perverted text, okay, of the Bible. That's a whole other issue. But nine times out of ten, they read and study out of the Watchtower pamphlets and things of that nature. They don't even get into it, even their perverted text. Okay, same things oftentimes if you ever find yourself witnessing to a Mormon or something, okay, uh, you can really get them off track real easy because they're trained to go down a track, okay, but if you know your Bible, 
uh, you could easily get them off track and you're asking questions you're not supposed to ask and then, they, well, I got to go. Been there, done that, okay? But you got to understand the privilege it is that we have and what we're doing tonight with this personal Bible study. Thousands and thousands and thousands of our brothers and sisters in the Lord were brutally murdered to do something that we're doing tonight and dare I say, much of the American church, unfortunately today, takes for granted. To not just even own one of these, but to come and gather without being threatened with our lives to study it and really get into it, okay? Never before in the history of the church have we had this kind of privilege to dive in and to know the Word of God than our times. Personal Bible studies, where we're at page 55, Why Should I Study the Bible? It's the only book on the planet that has the power, the ability to unbrainwash us from the brainwashing we unfortunately receive from this world. 56, the practical reasons for our own good, spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, and spiritual effectiveness. Well, hey, then uh, 57 was, how do you get started? Great practical question so that uh, we can do it correctly and not shoot ourselves in the foot with unrealistic expectations. One, we pray for illumination. Uh, Two, observation, observation, observation. Take a look at it. Take the time. Remember, that was a key word we've seen the last couple of times. You got to take the time. Don't be in a rush. Okay. And then uh, 58, you need to read repeatedly. That's right, Robert. You need to read repeatedly. Bonnie wants that? That's right. Read repeatedly because the more you do it, the more it kind of sinks in and uh, you get going. Uh, Ask preliminary questions. Be a detective. Be a Bible detective. Everybody likes those detective shows on TV and we got to find out. We cannot let this slide. We've got to figure it out. What's the facts? Uncover this. Go here. Go there. Why don't we do that with the Bible? I think we'll get much more out of it, and that's what he encourages us to do. Outline the book, study the paragraphs, and uh, interpret uh, what does it mean, okay? So not just get an understanding what it is, but you need to interpret what it means, and dare I say, correctly, okay? And that's where we left off kind of last time with that issue with the SAS, and that was the acronym for Stylistic Approach to Sin. We're supposed to let the Bible, exegesis, speak out to us, and as we're like, yes, God, conform me to your image, you know? Uh, whatever it says, I'll do. That's the right attitude, okay? But unfortunately, we do uh, eisegesis, read into it that which is not there, or we try to make it something that's not there because of this is what I've learned primarily. Uh, Either we were taught something that was wrong and we're confronted with that, and out of pride, we don't want to admit that we were taught wrong, okay? Or two, there's a certain sin that's being poked out, uh, and we don't want to deal with it. So we'll say, I don't know, that's a cultural thing. It doesn't apply today. So that's the little games that we play, uh, even uh, as Christians today, unfortunately. So we need to understand, what does it mean? Ask those interpreted questions, answer them, and that's where we left off uh, towards the bottom there of page 60 uh, in your workbook. Again, does anybody need a workbook? Because we got some up front here. If you need a workbook, they're right here in front. And this uh, gesture that I'm making right here, Mary, that is the universal code word for right here in front. There we go. Hey, give it up. We got a customer tonight. Woo! Yeah, right here in front. You get it mowing, that's right. So we are there at the, the bottom of uh, the first paragraph there on page 60, and that's kind of where we left off on asking interpretive questions. Now, here's what it says. If the text does not yield the answers to your questions, look in some good reference works, okay? So even after you're doing all your CSI application to the Bible and you're trying to figure it out, and even as you go through that, if you don't know, guess what? This is what I just opened up with. We have so many resources at our fingertips, there's no reason for us to not understand a passage of Scripture. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, we, we got Bible dictionaries that says Bible handbooks, Bible atlases, Bible concordances, Bible commentaries, and that's the tip of the iceberg. Okay? Now think about this historically in the church. 
Most of the church has spent most of their existence as Christians, and they don't even have a copy of the Bible. Or portions of it. You hear of missionaries over there, man, they're just, can we, can we, we don't just, if they even get a New Testament, the new Christians over in the far, they're, wow, let alone the whole Bible. You know, oftentimes Christians, under persecutions, they'll literally assign books that what they do have, and they commit them to memory, so that if they get ripped off or, or, or things of that nature, they, they have the privilege to basically speak it verbatim. That's our next study, scripture memorization. Okay, but you and I, we've got so many copies. Okay, and then we have all these tools at our fingertips. Languages, dictionaries, handbooks, customs and mannerisms. I've got seven, probably seven different copies of just that in my library. And finding out those nuggets and things of that nature. Never before in the history of the church have we had the privilege in this generation to understand the Bible in depth what we do. Okay, and that's what he says. So if you don't know the answers, hey, there's no excuse. Okay, just do your homework, uh, and you can do that. A list of good resources is provided at the end of this lesson, he says. Look in the commentaries as the last resort. Now, underline that, last resort. Because you want to be able to understand the scripture uh, for yourself, okay? A lot of times, as we left off last time, uh, it, just, it explains itself. Just keep reading. Stay in the context. Don't read into it what you think it is. Allow it to speak for you, okay? Uh, even if you are getting convicted on it. And God's pointing out some error. Okay, respond and be blessed, okay? But the issue is, uh, even if you can't understand it, uh, uh, still make sure that you've really exhausted it and paying attention yourself, doing your own detective work as a last resort. Because I remember going through this uh, as a brand new Christian. Uh, and, you know, as you guys know my testimony, eight weeks after I got saved, I'm in Bible college. I had no church background. So I didn't know hardly even Jonah, as we saw on Sunday, the Jonah and the whale story. I didn't, I didn't even have that. So I'm scrambling for all kinds of answers and stuff. And so I started to get into this habit, though. Immediately, if I didn't understand something, bang, I went right to a commentary. Now, there's nothing wrong with commentaries, per se, if it's a good one. Okay? Because uh, there's some liberal ones out there. And, uh, but the problem is, you get into this habit of you don't learn to decipher it yourself. And this is the freedom that uh, the Reformation... Uh, uh, giants had left for you and I. No, you can understand. You don't have to have all this elite to tell you exactly uh, what to do, okay? And uh, we have the tools at our fingertips. Okay, so go there as a last resort. Don't go there like, I don't understand. Force yourself to do your homework. Now, again, if for some reason you just can't get it, then, and maybe then, uh, go to that as well to check your work. You're capable of doing the study yourself and coming to conclusions. And as you do, you will experience the thrill of discovery as hard work and the illumination of the Holy Spirit produce the spiritual gold nuggets, underline that, gold nuggets of the word. Okay? Now, I like that. That's not the first time, if you've been here with this, this particular study on chapter 5, that's not the first time that he's used that parallel and that word, and that's the issue of gold nuggets. Okay, gold nuggets. Now, how many guys have seen those, that on, on Friday they got this gold thing going on in History Channel or something? That gold, what's that gold? Alaska gold's one, gold something. There's like, isn't there like three of them now or something like that? You know, Friday, and they, I think their, their Twitter thing was like it's Friday, think gold or something like that. Gold, this gold, whatever. Anyway, so they got these shows. These guys are going through all this stuff and they're digging uh, for gold there because the prices of gold is, right? And if you ever seen one of those episodes, I mean, they got this, these guys are, oh, yeah, look at this, look at this, Bob, look at this, look at this nugget. And it's a little teeny little thing. You know what I'm saying? And go, yeah, it's a flake. That's worth $9 million. And then you're sitting there going, 
man, i got to buy a shovel. Let's go to Ace Hardware. <laughs> are you serious? It's worth that much? Okay. But that's just it. I mean, so here they are tearing up the earth and doing all this stuff. And, and that's the thing. We need, to, we need to consider the Bible like this, man. We need to be, hey, we got to get a shovel. We got to get a backhoe. I mean, I mean, just a fleck of one verse. Whoa, hey, hey, Ron, Ron, I found a gold nugget in here. Whoa. But see, that's not our attitude. And that's why I like his analogy here of gold nuggets. Do your homework and guess what? Hey, is it hard work for those guys to dig gold out of the ground? Okay. Hey, it might be some hard work, but can I tell you, it's going to be spiritually rewarding. If we get in there and take the time and the sweat to figure out what's God saying here? How can I get this accurately? And what's he trying to get me to understand and apply uh, today? But again, unfortunately, that's not always our attitude. So I want to give you an analogy. Robbie Zacharias, if you're familiar with him, great Christian apologist, he says this. He gives this analogy. He said there was a wealthy merchant who had undertaken a lengthy journey. And so he was carrying with him his most valuable jewels. Okay, so obviously Orson, that was a bag of cheeseburgers, right? Hey, it works for me. But anyway, so he's got these valuable jewels going on. And along the way, another traveler befriends him, okay, making it look like a chance meeting, uh, but with the sole intent of laying his hands on his treasure, okay? And at the end of each day, uh, when they had arrived at a local inn, they would share a room uh, for the night. And as was customary, each received his mat and pillow and also a wash basin with a towel for his nightly washings. And the merchant, somewhat suspicious of his newfound friend's real motives, devised a scheme to safeguard his valuables. And uh, that was to leave his ill-intentioned companion completely befuddled. And here's what he did. Before they turned in for the night, he would graciously offer the would-be thief the privilege of washing up first. And as soon as the thief would leave the room to go wash up, the rich man would take his bag of, uh, full of precious stones and hastily hide it under the pillow of the thief. So when the thief would return, uh, the rich man would take his turn to go wash up and exit. And uh, uh, awaiting the moment uh, of the opportunity, uh, the, the thief would plunge into the rich man's belongings, rummaging through his bag, ransacking in and under the rich man's pillow. And he's feverishly searching all over uh, for these precious stones. And his frenzied uh, and fruitless attempts at every single stop, every single night, left him utterly frustrated as he would eventually go back and lay his head back on his own pillow. And, and he was just all frustrated at his failure to locate the treasure. Well, finally, he says, as the, it came uh, time to part on their last day together, the rich man began his farewell pleasantries. And to the speechless astonishment of his companion, the thief, he informed him that all along he knew what his real motives were. And then came the uh, revelation. He says, you see, you poured all your energies into looking everywhere except under your own pillow. And here's his whole phrase. The wealth was much nearer than you realized. It was right there under your own pillow. Now, I said that, and he uses this as an analogy, I believe, for the same reason. The wealth is much nearer than we realize. It's right here. And unfortunately, it's maybe tucked away under a pillow or under the bed or stuck in a nightstand or downstairs or sitting on that coffee table so that when our friends come over, look how spiritual they are. They got that 900-pound Bible, the family Bible. 
The one that you probably, the, it's not benefiting you because you won't open it up, unfortunately. But if a thief did come over, you could smack him over the head and at least run away for a while. But uh, maybe that's, I don't know, that's what it is. I'm trying to rationalize wrong, but what do you do? So, uh, but that's what it is. And, and this is what's ironic. Our world is in search for truth. They want to know what life is all about. Is there life after death? Why am I here? They're on a search, just like uh, apparently we once were, uh, for true and lasting love and peace and joy. And where's all this come from? Now, unfortunately, they're going on the wrong paths. And unfortunately, they do not consider this book as valuable. Okay? And so they're going on, on different routes. They're searching. They, they'll like, man, maybe somebody will dig up in the dirt, as we talked before, uh, near the pyramids. They'll find some ancient text that will unlock all the secrets of life. One of the biggest kicks is now alien life forms. You know, maybe they're supposed to be a higher intelligence. Maybe they can come here and land and, and tell us some secrets to unlock the universe and, and solve all mankind's problems and blah, blah, blah. They will actually go that far but they won't realize that the truth is much nearer than they realize. You don't have to go to Egypt. You don't have to depend on some archaeologist. You don't have to spend, what's that, $4 billion a year on the SETI program? S-E-T-I, another acronym, Search for uh, Extraterrestrial Intelligence, that I believe we're paying for. Can we save the economy $4 billion and say, would you just stop? And here it is. Here's your alien book. Isn't God from another world? He's outside the world. He's, a, he's the one who made the world. He's a higher intelligence. Now this will preach. If you can't make that preach, you ain't got no preach in you. Okay? But no pressure, Byron. But that's right. Okay? Now listen to this. Okay? That's one thing for the world to do that. But listen to these statistics. Among households which own a Bible, the typical count is three Bibles per household. Three. Okay? If you own a Bible, you typically have at least three lying around. Here's the problem. Almost every household in America, 92%, owns at least one copy of the Christian Bible. Now listen, this includes most homes in which the adults are not practicing Christians, as well as the homes of hundreds of thousands of atheists. Everybody's got a copy of the Bible. In America right now, 92% of our population has the answers to all of life's problem. Right there. Much nearer than they realize Because it's not a treasure to them anymore. Or it has ever been. And can I, can I throw out the little stinger? If you and I, who are Christians, have the same unfortunate attitude that this is not a treasure, this is not a gold nugget time, I'm not going to get a backhoe, I'm not going to go out there and sacrifice and leave my family and live in Alaska, okay, eating dirt and, and uh, catfish lips and and wolf liver or whatever they out there. I'm not going to go through all that pain to read the Bible. Why should the world? All right? That's, that's what it is. So we got to get down there, uh, as he says, hey, listen, we got to get in there. If you don't understand it, there's no excuse. Uh, we can understand it today like never before in the history of the church. Let's continue on. Here's what he says. Now, as you do, you're going to experience the thrill of discovery, okay? And uh, you're going to get these spiritual gold nuggets, okay? And uh, then, of course, write those down, etc., etc. Now, here's the whole point I want to get to, and this is the whole point of studying the Bible. It's not just to uh, give you some exciting head knowledge, as we've seen before, just so if you are on Jeopardy, and they are doing that daily double, and they happen to have the only category you think you can answer correctly, the Bible. Okay, it's not just for that, so that you can win the daily double, whatever. It's not just that. Paul says this, what? 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, right? 
It's not what's known here in all this factoid information. Did you know that we Christians can do that? We'll get around to studying the Bible, but it's just like we're studying for a math test or something or, or some history book uh, and things of that nature. And we wow our Sunday school class or we wow our Christian friends or we wow this. Hey, this, and I can name all the blah, blah, blah. Really? Well, how's your walk with Jesus? Uh, how many people did you lead to Jesus Christ this week? Uh, yeah, but I know all the dates when they had the church councils. So? application, application, application. The whole reason why we're in this is not just to stick it up here so you can spout off biblical facts. It's to get it into your heart so that we can be conformed more like Jesus Christ. Okay? Application is what he says there. Application involves drawing life principles, is your next two blanks there, life principles out of the word of God and applying them, underline that one, applying them uh, to your life. Okay? And uh, the Bible was not written to satisfy your curiosity, even though it's a whopper of a book. I don't know what's more... Ex- you, you said, well, I like action shows. I like Arnold Schwarzenegger, all those uh, action manly shows and blow them up and action and all this stuff. The Bible... <laughs> really? Have you ever read the book of Judges? That's a man's book. Isn't it? That's action. They got wars, they got campaigns, man. They're going against all the odds. God's delivering them. Woo, man, that's action. Back it up, go to Exodus. That's miracles. I just saw, I liked watching Touched by an Angel because that lady had that foreign Scottish accent, right, John? And, and, and that, it was just really touching every time she spoke. And they always went out and did, and hey, that's neat. You want to see some miracles? Go to Exodus, man. And guess what? That really happened. <laughs> man, fire come from the sky, leading them in the cloud, and had their backs against the wall, uh, and God parted the, the, the Red Sea there, made water come from a rock. It was just uh, manna for 40 years came down, and, and they had all that. And then the, another text says that all those 40 years, God supernaturally caused it so their, their clothes, their shoes wouldn't wear out. Nike, eat your heart out. That was real stuff, man. Miracle. That's awesome. It's right there, okay? But we get tricked into not doing that. And that needs to be our mentality. It's not just for our curiosity, even though, man, I'm telling you, there's some seriously cool stuff. I get blown away by this stuff. And I always remind myself, this was a real guy. This really happened. David really did this with Goliath, a nine-foot dude. This really, what? Yeah, yeah. When Peter and John go up to the dude and the beggar and I don't have gold or silver, but here, I'll give you something else. Bang, he's healed right down the spot. That really happened. That's exciting stuff. Turn the page, there's more, keep going. And it's real. It's not make-believe Hollywood stuff. Okay? And it just builds up. Oh, it's just awesome. Anyway, I like it. Anyway, so not just for your curiosity. It was written to transform, is your next blank. Transform your life. Okay? Transform your life. The ultimate goal of Bible study then is not to do something to the Bible. Now that's the funny little game that we'll play if uh, we get convicted. Well, I don't think so. I don't know. No. no. It's not to do something about the Bible. That's not the whole point. Uh, it's not dare to fill you up with, uh, I call it popcorn knowledge. Just you know, all these little factoids thing. Okay, it's there so that uh, uh, to do something to you. Okay, that's the whole point. You know, oftentimes I've said this uh, many studies back, I believe, and uh, when people will come to me for counseling, usually somewhere along the line, okay, you know, as they begin to uh, share what's going on, their struggles or whatever's going on, and at some point, I'll basically ask them, I'll say, well, well let me ask you, before we get started into some of the, you know, individual issues here, 
Uh, can I ask you something real quick? Um, how's, how's, how's your time with God been lately? Been consistent in prayer? You in the Word every day? Really? You still, still uh, feverishly witnessing to people like that? Well, what's that got to do with me and my spouse and we're having trouble? Can I tell you something? Where do you think all your strength and your wisdom and everything you need comes from? Right? And, and I, I'm going to help you, Lord willing, with this specific maybe little thing that maybe be bugging you or causing some trouble legitimately. But can I tell you, just coming to me isn't it. I'm more interested in long-term helping you. Come to me anytime you want. But I want you to learn the lesson that it would, you know, somebody looks at you cross-eyed, you don't have to always come to my office and get an answer. You know, at some point we need to be a disciple and that you can get in there and God will give you the strength. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying, I love to counsel. I think God has given me the gift of encouragement and I think that really does come in handy when you do some counseling. Okay, so don't misunderstand me. But my heart as a shepherd is to get you to the point where, guess what? You can not only begin to walk on your own two feet, then you could get somebody else and you could show them how to do on their two feet and therefore and so on and so forth because I'm only one person. And then we can really become a strong body in Jesus Christ. But that's when we're coming to the point where the Bible is not just factoid knowledge, it's not just collecting dust on the shelf, it's, yes, God, transform me. What do I need to do in this situation? It's right there. God, how do I get the strength? It's right there. Lord, I don't know what... It's right there. We just got to go there. Don't fight with God, okay? When he also brings it out, be obedient and be blessed. Let the word of God transform you is what he says. So that truth becomes tangent to life, okay? Now, when truth does not become tangent to life, you know what the code word for that is? Hypocrite. That's a hypocrite. Nobody likes a hypocrite, Right? Sit there and quote Bible verse all you want, but your life is in the trash. The world's not dumb. They can smell it a mile away. And the point is, hopefully there's some element of consistency. Not that we Christians are perfect, myself included, but hopefully there's a little bit of consistency so that when you do speak God's truth to people, your life and the way you live it has earned respect and they listen, right? So there needs to be, truth needs to become tangent to life. At this point, Bible study becomes life-transforming if we have presented our body as a living sacrifice, is the point there. As Zuck puts it, we must have a willing heart, underline willing, a willingness, underline that, to appropriate the truths of scriptures into our experience. Okay? You have to be able to be prepared that sometimes when you read the word of God, it's not just an encouraging verse. Sometimes you're going to read it and God's going to say, gotcha. Stop it. And at that point, there I say is our biggest challenge in being conformed and transformed. Don't fight them. Yes, God. That's why he says willingness. We talked about this before. Uh, in, the, uh, in the Hebrew, uh, when the passage uh, says, uh, God, uh, what kind of heart does he like? He likes a broken, okay, a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. It'll be the text says. You know what that religion, I looked it up. That was one of those gold nuggets. Break out your backhoe, man. It's time to eat some uh, wolf livers. You know, do some work. You know, work for that nugget. Work for that flake, right? And so I felt prompted. Oh, what is that? It's broken and contrite because, man, this is something that's pleasing to God. And he, he likes it. And I want to please him. So what is it, God? So I pop open up, you know, again, what other Christians couldn't even dream of having. Something as simple as a concordance or Hebrew lexicon, okay? And I pop that baby open, man, and you know what that means? That means utterly smashed. 
And the, the, the visual there is of like of a piece of pottery, clay pottery. I'm not talking drop it, oh, it went in six pieces. I'm talking you do that thing, and, and uh, when the Lions made the playoffs and over at John's house, he unfortunately grabbed that thing closest to him, man. It was a flower pot made out of clay, and he went, oh, whoosh, and that thing was how many pieces, John? Oh, it was a bunch. It was utterly smashed, right? Now, the point is, if you follow the pottery analogy, uh, that's not a, you're going to, uh, you know, if it's still in somewhat of a form that you can add water to it and, you can, you can remold the thing back up into where it is. It's not stiff neck. Remember the word that God used for Israel? Stubborn and stiff neck. Okay, the point is God's trying to mold us into his image, right, of his son Jesus Christ. But if we're all stiff neck, no, you know, it's not that fun. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had that art class and you're supposed to make that sculpture of something that's supposed to look like a human head, okay, but you forgot to put the plastic wrap on it? So when you got there next week, that was a rough one. I punched that baby and punched that baby. It's a whole lot easier, believe you me, when you put that plastic wrap and squirt it down before you do it. It stays nice and soft for the next time to do your work. It's the same thing. When we are utterly smashed, we're soft and pliable in God's hands. That's what pleases him. He's not going to despise that. That's exactly where he wants you to be because you are willing. You have a willing heart. You're just like, I don't care, God. I'm smashed. I, I, I've tried everything. You know, I mean, it's, it's a point of surrender. I don't care. Do what you want. Because I know you are the one who can mold me into a life that's worth living. And that you are the one who is the source of love and joy and peace and everything I need. Do what you want. Mold me. Shape me. We sing that song. But do we live it? Now again, when you're reading the Bible, that's one of his processes to begin that molding process. Are we fighting him? Or do we have this willing heart? As he says there. Now, ask application questions. Hendricks and Hendricks, as opposed to Ron and Ron and Mary and Mary, although there is a Mary and Mary right there, uh, says that they suggest nine applications to help us applying God's word. And here's what they include, the top of 61. Is there an example for me to follow? Right? Is there a sin to avoid? Now, that's obvious. But again, do we fight it? That's cultural. I don't have to listen to that. <laughs> no? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim? Okay? Is there a prayer to repeat? When I first got saved, and just I didn't know anything, as if I really know anything now. But anyway, you're always learning, but, uh, and you need to be teachable. Uh, but the scripture says, uh, you know, Paul began these wonderful prayers uh, for the Colossians and the Ephesians. And, and I, I didn't know what to pray for, but I wanted a deeper walk with Jesus, but I didn't know how to phrase it. So you know what I did? I personalized those prayers. And for a long time, I would, I would insert my name in there. For me, go God. You know, uh, please help me to know the heights and the depths and the lengths and the breadths of your love so that your power, uh, you, that, was, that was my prayer. You know what I'm saying? And it was awesome. And one of those prayers, I was asking God to teach me over and over again, what does it mean to walk and live and keep in step with your spirit? And I think it was probably about two years after that, I think he, he fulfilled that. And I began to understand what was that. So sometimes, just me personally, I didn't want to pray. Hey, I figured, man, you can't go wrong with what Paul's talking about. You know, that's good stuff. You know, that was what was best, inspired of the Holy Spirit for them. I'm sure that could work for us. What a concept. Okay? So, so is it a prayer uh, to repeat? Is it a command to obey? Is there a condition to meet? Is there a verse to memorize? That's all of next chapter. Uh, is there an error to mark? Is there a challenge to face? Okay? And what it is, record it. Chalk it up. Chew on it. Write it down. Go back to it the next day. Hey, hey force yourself. Discipline yourself. That's the big thing I'm going to think about all day long. And that's it. Because maybe God wants me to know that. 
Okay? Now, continue on. Zuck gives us these hints about application. Now, think of application in terms of relationships. Okay? Number one, your relationship with God. This is not some religion. This is not some Sunday school test. You're uh, there to amaze your friends. This is about your walk, your relationship with God. How about your relationship with Satan? Anybody ever get sick and tired of that old booger? Anybody going to be glad if we're going to be there to get to see him chucked at the end of the millennial kingdom uh, at the last rebellion into the lake of fire with a, uh, the false prophet uh, and the Antichrist are, which means that it's no such thing as annihilation. They've been there for a thousand years and they still are. They're still there. Anybody glad if we get to see that event? Yes, praise God. Now, guess what? Wouldn't it be awesome if we could know how to uh, uh, counter his attacks? Uh, you can. It's in the Bible. I'll give you a couple uh, quick passages here. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, go ahead and turn there real quick if you can. And uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. This is one of those. Hey, you broke out the backhoe. Uh, you ate that wolf liver. And you're living in a cabin and haven't had a shower in four weeks. Okay. This is, I'm going after that gold nugget. This is one of the ones that happened for me. And uh, still blesses me personally. And uh, hopefully it's a blessing to you. 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 2. Chapter 2, verse 11. And the context here is Paul's talking about the forgiveness of a brother who's offended the church. <laughs> Good thing we don't have a problem with forgiveness in the church today. Yes, that was a sarcasm for humor uh, point, is, in case you're wondering. Uh, and that's what he says. Uh, verse, uh, let's stick down there. Uh, verse 9. The, uh, the reason I wrote to you was to see that if you would stand the test of being obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive them. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Now, notice the context, forgiveness, and then he pops in this one. Uh, why? Why is it important to forgive? Why is it important that when a brother does come back uh, in repentance and says, you know, I have totally blown it, would you please forgive me, that we need to forgive him? Because it's, uh, it's going to invite satanic warfare. Because the next verse says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not aware of his schemes. Now, here's a little nugget. I'm going, schemes, schemes. I was into electronics, and we had to do schematics, okay? And, uh, but let me go see what that word is. Well, when I went to go to the Greek lexicon for that word, I believe it was uh, noema, which is the Greek word for mind, mind or thoughts. And so can I translate that for you? What I believe confidently is in the vernacular. Uh, we are not unaware of his mind games, So how does he mess with us? In your mind. You're sitting there, the brother comes to you and says, you know what, would you please forgive me, I blew it. And a little voice goes in your mind, you don't deserve it. No, I'm going to do the silent treatment on you. No, I'm not going to forgive you. No, we're not, no. I'm not going to forgive, no. I'm going to avoid you. I'm not going to return your phone call. Just, you know, all these little things. Where do you think this stuff comes from? And it just festers and it happens to another relationship in the church and another relationship in the church and next thing you know, it's all messed up because we're ignorant of his mind games. Well, how do you counter it? Well, let's do another uh, gold nugget time. Now flip over very quickly to Philippians chapter four and we find out, according to the word of God, how to counteract this. Because once I hit Noema, then I decided, well, let's do a specific Greek study, right? Remember, because this is, I'm out there in the wilderness, I'm digging out that little flake worth $9 million. Okay, I'll do what it takes. Even if it's uh, extra time and I, I'm really tired, but no, I'm tracing this trail down. I'm digging a couple more shovelfuls. Uh, I've got to find out what this means. And uh, here it is, Philippians chapter 4. And uh, this is a passage we've seen before, verses 6 through 9. Here's what Paul says. Do not be anxious. Now, we saw before last time this merimonao, which means consumed with yourself. 
which is translated the same exact word in worry, Matthew chapter 6. So anxious, worry, same thing. And the source of anxious anxiety and worry comes from being consumed with yourself, doesn't it? Man, that, that's a whole nugget right there. Okay. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, what do you do? By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Why? Here's the payoff. And the what of God? The peace of God, okay, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your what? Your noema. Here's your mind. In Christ Jesus. Now continue on because I think this fits the context. Finally, brothers, whatever is what? True, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what? Think. And what do you use to think with? Mind. Okay, think about such things. Why? Here's the payoff. Because Paul says, whatever you heard or received, uh, uh, or, or learned, heard or received from me, which is exactly what he's just saying here, is one of them, uh, or seen in me, put it into practice, and once again, the peace of God will be with you. So if Satan's trying to mess with you, getting you all riled up, and you're not peace, and you're angry with your brother, you're angry at this situation, or whatever, your mind's all just, you're noema, and he's doing these mind games on you again, what's the antidote? Flip it around with a mind game. You pray to God and enjoy his peace. And in the meantime, do something proactive and think about whatever is right, lovely, pure, excellent, true. And dare I say that involves the other person. The Bible says that we ought to think better of others than ourselves. And yet sometimes it seems like we always want to think about the worst of people. You know what I'm saying? Why don't we think about the positive? You know, maybe we should say, I'm not condoning that bad behavior, their rotten attitude, but how do you know that they heard some bad news that morning. And unfortunately, you got the brunt of it. Do we even think about that stuff? Reminds me of one of the wild illustrations. Uh, I think it's a true story. This guy was uh, on an airplane, a uh, business guy. And uh, he, was, he got on his seat. Uh, and uh, it just so happens in front of him, you know, when you're wanting to get some sleep on a business trip and you're already tired, who's sitting in front of you? Child. Yeah. Child. A couple, there's a young mom and a couple kids. Okay, and man, were they absolutely quiet and, res- no. <laughs> they're bouncing around, whatever that, and he's trying, just when he's starting to doze off, yeah, they're making noise, doing all kinds of stuff, throwing stuff, hitting him in the head, the crayon, you know, all this stuff, and he just, you know, whatever. And uh, finally, he just about, he just about, I can't take this anymore, and this has been going on for quite some time on this lengthy flight, and he's just about ready to go over there, and he's going to talk to the lady and say, listen, get your kids in line, I'm sick and tired of this, you know, he's about ready to lay into her. And she senses it, and she turns to him. Get this. She turns to him. She says, sir, I am so sorry uh, that my kids are unruly. I know it's, it's, it's not right, and I'm, I'm trying my best uh, to, to help them. But you see, um, we're heading to, I think it was someplace in California. We're heading to California, too. And, and um, um, my husband, their father, uh, we just got the news that he was killed in Iraq. And I haven't told my kids yet. And I don't know how, and would you please forgive us? How big do you feel at that point? Mind games. He plays mind games with us, man. We don't do what the scripture tells us to do. You think about including the other person, what is right, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, and true. One last thing. Hey, not only do we not do that, think uh, more highly of others than ourselves. okay? At least give them benefit of the doubt. I'm not condoning their behavior, but try to understand it. Put yourself in their shoes, right? Okay, number two is uh, we get distracted. Uh, and it's usually by this guy. Rhymes with TV. Okay, that guy. That's the old tech thing with the rabbit ears. Did you know that the average person watches four and a half hours of television a day, which if you can translate that, that's enough time uh, to read the Bible <clears throat> 22 times in one year. 
Yeah. And uh, that's just time. Uh, but boy, it's a good thing that everything you see on the uh, TV is right and lovely and excellent and praiseworthy and true. And, and uh, so that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, could just be constantly upon us. No. And we wonder why our minds, remember, mind games, we're not ignorant of his mind games. He grabs our mind and he grabs control of it and he puts so much junk in it. We wonder why we have no peace. We're not thinking on that which is right, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, and true. If you're sick and tired of him messing with your mind, get control of your mind, bring every thought uh, captive and obedient to Jesus Christ, get back in the word, unplug that stuff, think better of other people, and dare I say, you might have a pretty good day. Okay? That's one of the wonderful nuggets you can get if you study the scripture. Let's continue on. Zuck says, not only your relationship to God, relationship with Satan, uh, at home, church, work, school, to the world, and to yourself. Recognize that application can be in the form of improved attitudes as well as improved actions. Okay? When we read the scriptures, what do we do? Number one, is it, is it that poor attitude? Or is it when we read it, it's like, well, man, that was boring. Or do we literally go in here and ask, God, please change me? Do we even verbalize it? God, please change me today. God, I know what this is for now. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just so I can win that next round at the college and career study, uh, fun night uh, in Bibleopoly. <laughs> Gotta beat Bob. He wins every week. No, <laughs> it's to transform us. But are we asking God before we even crack this baby open? God, transform me today. Make me more like Jesus. Make me more like your son so I can enjoy your blessings, okay? Uh, as well as please you. Okay, continue on. Uh, attitudinal responses may take longer to develop. Okay, have you learned that one? Dr. Couch in seminary, he always had the phrase, he says, uh, uh, you know, when you first get saved, uh, it seems like you, you, you work for the first several years and you, you, you knock out, the seven deadly sins. You know, I don't drink or smoke or curse or chew or hang around with them like do. You know, that kind of thing. And you knock them babies out because those are big ones. He says, as you get older in the Lord, it turns from the seven deadly sins to the subtle six. And those are typically your attitudes, like dealing with bitterness, being impatient. You know, those things. We got those big ones. I don't, do, I don't go to the bars anymore. <laughs> yeah, but you're bitter at somebody. You refuse to forgive. They go inside. As you grow, they get like that. And that's attitude. That's what he's talking about. Yeah, your actions can change. How's your attitude? Okay, the word of God can do that, man. He cleans you up inside and out. It's awesome. Okay, make application personal. Use the words I, me, my, mine, not we, us, our, okay? And I see that uh, sometimes in the pulpit. You get there and you get a passage that uh, uh, is convicting, dare I say, again, if we're preaching the word of God, according to the word of God. In Timothy, half the time, it should be convicting. Right? For correction and rebuke, not just training in righteousness and encouragement, you know, uh, etc. Okay? And, and so here's what I see. You know, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden the one spouse goes like this. It's like, yeah, you better listen, buddy, or buddette, or whatever. Or, you know, they give them the old head knob. To... Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like that. Yeah, you do that thing. It's like, like it's for them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or, wow, that was an incredible scriptural truth. I'm going to memorize that and I'm going to share that because I know somebody who could use it. Maybe it's for you too. And that's what he says. Train yourself. Not get out of that I, me, uh, in my mind. That's what you need to get in. Don't get in us, them, their, their. Mm, 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 mm. You know? Okay. Anyway, I'm a bit gone meddling. Anyway, so uh, uh, application statements as we is just way too general. Okay, it kind of blends it. Yes, we need to work on this. Well, maybe it's you. 
Okay, I need to work on this. Yes, we do, but personalize it so you have the ability to take action. Also be specific rather than saying, I love this, this is, this is cool. I should love my wife more. Uh, be specific by saying something like this. I will take my wife out to dinner this Friday evening or on my way home from work Thursday, I will buy my wife flowers or I will not criticize my wife anytime this week. Now, why I'm laughing is because when I read that the first time and the whole point is application interpretation, how many guys in taking apart that paragraph and what he just said and the Zuck who's writing this, that that week when Zuck was writing this paragraph, that week he was in trouble with his wife. I'm going, come on, that's accurate interpretation, man. I mean, not just one, not just two, but three times. He's, he had trouble that week with his wife. But anyway, that's right. Uh, apply the truths and we'll close. Uh, we need to understand that our own strength, it's impossible for us to apply these principles to our lives. We need to ask the Holy Spirit, is your next blank there, the Holy Spirit, to help us apply the principles in the areas of our life where they are needed. It is when we depend on the Spirit that he will help us to apply these truths in a way that over time, uh, here's what it will do. It will change us and make us more Christ-like. It's the whole point. It, as a Christian, I don't honestly care, okay, with all due respect, how long you've been saved. How much do you act, look, and speak, and behave like our Lord, my Lord, Jesus Christ? What blows me away as, as, as a shepherd is, you know, my desire is like, wow, can you imagine getting to the point in your walk with Jesus Christ that you could look at a church, you could look at other Christians, and you could say what he said to the churches. Follow me as I follow Christ. Would we actually say that? Are we so confident in our walk and that our walk with Jesus Christ is consistently not perfect because we're not, myself included, but there's a general consistency of godliness and holy living and righteous living that we can say, hey, listen, I I know you may uh, be in the muddles and the the doldrums right now, but follow me. Let me show you the way out. Or is everybody else just still stuck in the mud just walling around? That's an amazing statement. Uh, to me, to, to be Christ-like. As the word of God penetrates our souls and enables us to see areas where improvement is needed and enables us to overcome weaknesses by the Holy Spirit's enabling us to grow thereby. Knowing the truth of God is essential, but blessings come from doing it. Underline it, circle it, put asterisks around it, put arrows in all four corners. If you got time later, not right now, because I'm speaking. Uh, draw some rockets, uh, like the page on the flyer. Do something, but listen, doing it is the whole point uh, of the deal. As Johann Bingle wrote in 1742, apply yourself wholly, wholly to the text and apply the text wholly to yourself. Why? Because this is not some encyclopedia game. This is the opportunity for you and I, before we get to heaven, to get to know Jesus Christ intimately and personal and better before we get to see him face-to-face in heaven and hopefully and prayerfully as we grow stronger and look and resemble and are conformed more into his image, he could use us to be a positive advertisement, dare I say, a good commercial for him to lead others to him and not get to heaven empty-handed. It's there in the scripture, but we've got to take the time and we've got to make it personal and we've got to have the same mentality as those guys digging out that dirt for a little bitty flake. We have to have that spiritually when it comes to the scripture. And dare I say, you will be rich beyond your wildest dreams 
spiritually. And you will have much treasure to lay at the feet of Jesus one day. And that's the greatest treasure of all. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries. And I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven? on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus, so that we can now have a relationship with God, both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes 
that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance uh, there's been people who have committed crimes gone to court the gavel's been passed the judges said hey listen we all know you're guilty uh, you even admit you're guilty and uh, for your crimes you're going to not just jail you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty and did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you could be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.